Hello, everybody, and welcome into the MVP radio show here on VIC Radio. Maybe you're listening to it on podcast form, but thank you for turning on wherever you're listening. Alongside Brennan Miller and Dan Bazante, I'm John Vacari. Boys, another week in the book. I can't believe we're in mid-October already. Went by fast. It really did. Here we are, but I'm a sports are still supplying us with some fun stuff, even in this pandemic. Yeah, I can't believe it's week six in the NFL already. I mean, we talked. We were talking at the beginning of the year if we didn't even know if the season was going to go on, and here we are. Yep, week six in the NFL, MLB deep into its postseason, basketball and uh, NHL regular seasons over, and then in a couple of uh, – maybe a couple months, a couple weeks still uh, up in the air, then they'll get going again. So uh, interesting time to be a sports fan. An interesting time, I think, always to be a New York sports fan, and especially this week, because uh, this week, Le'Veon Bell, the Jets' star running back, was released by the team. And to say that he has underperformed in his Jets' tenure is an understatement, but to say that the coach, Adam Gase, has been the main cause of that is also probably accurate. Look, when the Jets got Le'Veon Bell, and it seems, I guess, like, <laughs> you know, 10 years ago at this point, uh, but it, it's fairly recent. Uh, two seasons ago, it was a huge splash, a splash, a huge move. The Jets got a very good running back, a running back that, yeah, he sat out a year, but that was because he wanted more money from all these teams. He finally got it from the Jets, and a lot of people thought that Adam Gase, who was brought in, he was this offensive guru, it's going to be huge to get Bell. It helps a young quarterback in Sam Darnold having a star running back, the same way the other New York team has Saquon and uh, helping Daniel Jones. And it was regarded as a good move. But that was before Adam Gase was hired as the coach. That was a Mike McCagnin move. The Jets, because Mike McCagnin, like that's the only somewhat good move he made, the Jets got rid of their GM in Mike McCagnin, got rid of coach Todd Bowles, and Adam Gase was brought in along with Joe Douglas. And Joe Douglas bought in a Le'Veon Bell, realized he was a talent. Joe Douglas from Philadelphia, you know, he paid attention to what happened in Pittsburgh. He wasn't blind to that. Adam Gase and Bell batted heads from day one. Bell was never going to fit Gase's system. It's, it's crazy that he's been around for as long as he has. And if I'm Joe Douglas or who, uh, the Johnsons in terms of the Jets – I would have sat Gase down and be like, hey, we're paying Bell a lot of money. Start using him in your offense instead of P. Ryan and Frank Gore so much. But instead, the relationship just fractured and got worse over time. And now he's gone. And the worst thing, guys, and I, I think you'll agree with this, okay, get rid of him. All right, we've decided that. Got to get something for him. The Jets release him. We'll still have to owe him $6 million. The Chiefs this week pick him up get to pay him $690,000, that's it, and he could earn possibly up to $1 million in incentives, but still, <laughs> you have to pay him $6 million to face him on November 1st with another team. I, it's crazy, and it just sums up the dumpster fire of a season that the New York Jets have had. Yeah, I mean, when he initially like went to the team, like that team was – on the right track. I mean, they had a young town in Jamal Adams safety and they had Le'Veon Bell who were up to that point in Pittsburgh was one of the premier running backs in the league and looked as though, you know, if he continues on the track that he was on, he might've been like a hall of fame style running back, but then he goes to New York and 
we've said it before, and we've said it in the past, this offensive guru and Adam Gase is supposed to be able to use all these weapons that this offense has. And you have a huge one in Le'Veon Bell, a guy who not only runs the ball very effectively when he has it in his hands, but also if you give him the ball in the passing game, he's a guy that can make people miss. Like that was one of his biggest threats was the fact that you could get him a screen or you could have him line up in the slot and go out and run routes. And he was essentially another wide receiver for your team. And Adam Gase comes in and they get nothing out of him for two years. He no production at all. I mean, I drafted him on my fantasy team last year. Uh, so I know that he really didn't do anything for him. Uh, definitely skipped out on drafting him this year. And uh, it just doesn't make any sense to me how the Jets are given a talent like Le'Veon Bell, a guy who up until he joined their team looked at as potentially a Hall of Famer if he can continue to run as he did. And they just ruined his ruined two years of his career. And I don't think that Kansas City is going to do the same thing. So I'd expect him to maybe get back to the levels that he was at with the Steelers. You know, sometimes people say something is like a recipe for disaster. I mean, when you get Le'Veon Bell on the Jets, this is what happens. The Jets have made brutal franchise decisions their entire existence. And now this is just another one of them. We knew that Le'Veon Bell wasn't happy in Pittsburgh. He reminds me of Kyrie Irving. Like, wherever he goes, he's just not going to be happy. So now it didn't work out in New York. Now he's on the move to Kansas City. This is not surprising when you really think about it. I know that, like, in the moment, it definitely surprised me. Um, But, like, after I take a step back and I think about who Le'Veon Bell is and who the Jets are, I don't know why I was so surprised because I really should have expected this from an unhappy player and just a franchise that has made, like I said, brutal decisions throughout their history. And it is interesting because I think it could have been predicted, but it was Jamal Adams who wanted to leave first. Then Bell was a quiet soldier for a long time. But then, hey, the Jets start 0-5, and he wants to be out the door. And, you know, not that it switched like that. I think it was, you know, a building, as I said. It just fractured over time. But originally Adams was the, you know, the not the cancer in the locker room, but – you know, definitely someone who the front office had to butt heads with and Bell just sat quietly. And now he realizes it's time to get out and, uh, you know, maybe in the nick of time, but (laughs) just a tough blow for Jets fans. And the Jets this week uh, play the Dolphins, but Bell played 17 games as a New York Jet, made $28 million, right? Scored just four touchdowns. So that's $7 million per touchdown. (laughs) That's terrible. I would like to get paid seven million per touch now. <laughs> That's insane. Play, play a season and a game. You know, and some of it was injuries, and 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 too. I mean, Gase didn't use him correctly, so maybe there could have been more there. But I don't know. <laughs> it's good craziness, and that will now. Yeah. yeah, I saw a tweet that was like, I, I apologize for not getting the source, but it was a sports reporter who was who was like. I just looked at all the rosters in the NFL, and you know who could really use a running back like Le'Veon Bell? The New York Jets. <laughs> it's like, ideally, like when you look at their roster, they're weak, at, they're weak at running back, and they had a guy who was one of the – up until he joined the team, one of the premier backs in the league. It makes no sense why they weren't able to make him a weapon. And it's like now you got P. Ryan and Gore in the backfield. Like Frank Gore is 60 years old and is still running the ball, and – P. Ryan's not a guy who you expect to get a lot of carries in a game. I mean, he's not, he's just not a premier back. Yeah, the Jets are going to have to bank on that. They haven't seen much of P. Ryan this season. We've seen uh, what the 40 year old Frank Gore could do, and he's, 
He, I mean, he's played a probably better than a 40-year-old running back in the NFL should. And again, the Jets play Miami at 4 p.m. on CBS. And this segues perfectly into a next topic, and that's just, is this the week? Is this the week that a New York, you know, New Jersey, New York City, however you want to categorize them, is this the week the Giants or Jets, two of the three winless teams remaining in the NFL, is this the week they get a win? I don't know. The Giants are favored by two and a half over the Washington football team, two and a half, and the New York Jets are underdogs, no surprise, to the Miami Dolphins. Miami's a nine and a half point favorite. And I'll make my case. I don't think any of us will make a case for the Jets getting their first one of the season. Maybe you guys do. I don't think so. But uh, maybe it's like, oh, yeah, Bell gone. Gase could clear up his mind. It'll be great. No, I don't think so. But I realistically think, and, you know, again, Giants fan and maybe a little too optimistic, even though they've just beaten me down the last couple weeks. This is a game the Giants have to take. It's, it's maybe, maybe it's not even so much optimism as they got to do this. Because who else are the Giants going to beat if they can't handle the Washington football team as favorites at home at MetLife? I mean, Washington's coming in without with Dwayne Haskins, who was benched last week and didn't even dress for them because he had a, a flu or a stomach bug. Kyle Allen got hurt mid-game, and they had to bring in Alex Smith, which is a great story. But this is a guy in Alex Smith who hasn't played, you know, contact in the last two years. So it'll be interesting to see who Washington starts. But whoever they're starting, not not great. And Washington's defense is an improvement from last year. They added Chase Young, and he, I think, is underrated in terms of this season. Not a lot of eyeballs are being paid attention to Chase Young. And he's had a very, very good season. I feel like, like always, you know, you look more at the offensive rookies that have shown up uh, for certain teams around the league. But the Giants have to win this game. They've lost three one-possession games this season. Three. They're, and they're still 0-5, as we mentioned. But the division leader, the Dallas Cowboys, who don't have their starting quarterback for the rest of the season, are 2-3. and three. Eventually, if the Giants want to, they could climb back in, in this division. What are they waiting for? They beat Washington, as amazing as it sounds, they'll earn their first win and also be third in the division. Imagine that. It's like, oh, we got a win. Oh, yeah, and now we're third in the division and we're one game back of the Eagles if they sustain a loss to the Ravens in which Vegas thinks they will. It's crazy. So, to me I – mean, I love, yeah. I love the, the old uh, – which or what's going to be the record of the NFC East team that wins the, the division? Seven and uh, nine. Game. Yeah, it could be seven and nine. Uh, could be eight and eight. Hey, maybe we might even get six and ten this year. That'd be uh, great. I think at one point, yeah, when when Philadelphia was in the lead there, I think it was week four. It was <laughs> the division winner was going to be uh, four and twelve overall. Um, so I, it's just hilarious to me to play that game. Yeah, I, I think the prediction would be 8-7-1, and one, and that's the Eagles because they do have that tie, that, that miraculous tie to the Cleveland uh, to the Cincinnati Bengals. Yeah. But, but, but this is my thing with the Giants. Again, three one-possession games you lost, and there could be an argument made they could have taken all of them or they deserve to win none of them. But last week against Dallas, that was a winnable game. That was there for the taking. And, again, late, just too many mistakes. And Daniel Jones, look, I know he doesn't have – uh, as many weapons as he thought he would even have in week one. So it's even less than the less that was given, right? Saquon's gone. Sa- uh, Sterling Shepard uh, was 
performing in practice this week, but is not going to play this Sunday and has been on the IR. But you got to do more. You've had three opportunities with two minutes or less in the game to drive down the field. And if you score, win the ball game for your team. And he's 0 for 3. I mean, he's got to step up. He hasn't had a 300-yard passing game. Now, he's had probably a couple surprise running games. Uh, you know, up to last week was the Giants leading rusher on the team, believe it or not. But in these clutch moments, you got to step up. I don't know. Maybe I'm delusional in that he can't do it, but he, you know, he he's, he plays well for three quarters, and then the fourth, it's it's a lockup, you know. And and you could blame the Chicago loss on the offensive line uh, earlier in the season. Last week, the offensive line probably had its best game of the year, and Jones still sustained a fumble that was uh, returned to the house, a scoop and score, as uh, people like to say. But the run, the run block was great for the Giants last week. Not great, but better. They finally got a run game established. And Jones was protected enough. So uh, this win has to come this week, Brennan. I, and I know you, uh, not to spoil what's coming later in the show, but I think you're, uh, you know, you don't think that's going to happen. Well, no, and I think, yeah, I mean, you mentioned Daniel Jones being one of the reasons that this, this team isn't really winning any games. And I think what we forget about Daniel Jones is that he's still a very young quarterback. I mean, yes, oh, he's been starting for, the, for a while for the Giants, but at the same time, like, he's not a guy who has – years and years of experience and has seen uh, all these different setups that defenses are willing to throw at him. Like he's still a guy that only has a limited amount of years in the league. So while we can look at him and kind of critique it, um, I mean, we forget about the fact that he was put in a very, very bad situation having to come in and start uh, in his, what, what was it, his second year um, after the retirement of Eli Manning. So, I mean, it, He's not a guy that you're going to expect to be up there with the superstars, but at the same time, you have to expect more from him in the fourth quarter um, because obviously the Giants organization has confidence in him going out and starting in a game and winning a game for their team. Then you got to think that he has shown in the past somewhere that he can go out and be a fourth quarter quarterback and if need be, make a comeback and try and win an important game. But we have not seen that yet from him. Last week, I almost had a smart pick by taking the Giants. I was one Andy Dalton drive away from having a smart pick and taking the Giants. This week, I think they have to win, mainly because um, they are at home. They are favored. They were so close. I think, you know, I do think this will be the week for the Giants. I'm going to take them. I didn't want to give that away, but there I had. I just said it. Um, plus, I'll just never take the Washington football team. Um, and uh, as far as the Jets go, you know, talk about the Cartoon Network game of the week. Jets, Dolphins. Oh, my God. Don't don't watch that, and no one should watch that game. Um, Are the Dolphins good now because they put up how many points last week? I mean, yeah, yeah, they am uh, like I said, no one should be subjected to that football team. Um, yeah. but um, no, the, the Giants I think can win this week, and uh, like you said before, if they don't win this week, I, I'm not sure when it will happen. Yeah, and Brennan, you touched on it, like Jones. I I I think I said this last week, rather on the podcast or our YouTube show. You know, Jones just really completed his rookie season. I think this week would be his 18th or 19th career NFL start. So that's what, a season and two or three games there. But, and I understand this, but people are wanting Lawrence. You know, people are clamoring for a quarterback change. And I know you can't be too, uh, you know, retroactive and reactive to the fans, but 
you know, you, you have to step up in the situations, I believe, uh, when you have to elevate your game because he has done in the first three quarters. You know, there's been, again, I hate using the word, but there's been flashes of him being a franchise guy. And then there's instances where he looks like the worst quarterback in the NFL and just making bad reads and staring a receiver down the whole way and making uh, and throwing an interception. And, yeah, and, uh, and you mentioned – I just want to touch on Trevor Lawrence a little bit more because yeah. obviously he's going to be coming out. He's going to be – people are touting him as one of the best quarterback prospects to hit the draft uh, in a long time, and that's even after last year we saw Joe Burrow go out. And, and obviously he's been showing this season that he's, he's a quality quarterback and people are, have Lawrence over him as far as prospect status. I love the scenario – of uh, the New York Jets getting the first overall pick, trading Sam Darnold, who, which I've heard the Steelers a lot. I think that Sam Darnold would really fit in in Pittsburgh. And uh, obviously with Big Ben uh, being toward the tail end of his career, I think that there's an opportunity for uh, Sam Darnold to maybe sit behind a, a good quarterback for a while and then be able to come out. I love the scenario where the Jets draft Trevor Lawrence and trade Sam Darnold to the Pittsburgh Steelers, where Sam Darnold becomes a franchise cornerstone for in Pittsburgh and just the envy of one of the biggest sports cities in, in, in the world where they love the Steelers more than anything else. I cannot wait for that to happen. And then Jets fans just be very sad uh, because it wasn't Sam Darnold. It was their coach. Yeah. And I, I think that would, that would be interesting. And the only way, for uh, the New York teams to calm down the fan bases and to quiet the quarterback rumblings and, and the rumors is by winning this Sunday, by winning today, by taking care of business. That will easily take some of the uh, the pressure off of Jones and Darnold if they go out there and perform. But uh, I, I do like that scenario. I haven't heard that anywhere else, Brandon, but that's, you know, that's the quality content you get on this show. Just, uh, <laughs> I mean, that is. And, hey, it's not out of the realm of possibility, you know. That's not some hot take. That could happen. That could happen. And it could be a good fit. And in, in Pittsburgh, Big Ben's coming towards uh, the end of his career. So definitely interesting. Before we give you our NFL lock upset and game of the week picks, which we do each and every week, want to shift to baseball. And it's not a World Series preview. That could be found on our YouTube show. But just a, uh, a reaction to the press conferences this week for the New York Yankees. Both Aaron Boone and Brian Cashman talked to the New York media via Zoom. And I always like mentioning that and <laughs> the, the, the Zoom way. And um, look, they, they were, you know, as they've done this before. That was my thing. They're, uh, they're professionals at giving uh, press conferences in October that aren't uh, celebratory ones. That are, hey, we came up short. We were this close, but we just fell flat. And the main quote that I took away from it, and there was a lot to, you know, that, a lot that was said. But both Boone and Cashman used this key phrase. I think it went over a lot of people's heads. But uh, not the, the verbiage, but just the fact that they missed it or didn't think it was important. They thought that the Garcia to half opener, right? Garcia pitched the first inning and then half, I, I think, pitched three or four, but did not succeed in that role. They said it was a sound strategy, quote-unquote, regarding the roster that they had going into game two and looking at the rotation and everything else. Okay, great. You believe it's a sound strategy? And if you're Aaron Boone, you're the manager, you were believe, you know, Cashman convinced you of that. Who's convincing Cashman that it's a sound strategy? Can I talk to that person? Can I talk to the analytics crew that says that's a sound strategy? How is that a sound strategy at all? What does that word mean? You know, it's a sound strategy putting me up there, in my opinion. Of course it's not. What's a sound strategy? How is, oh uh, yeah, a sound strategy on paper. Great. Uh, take this rookie, put him in for an inning, let him know that he doesn't have the, str the longest leash in the world. 
all right, he's getting into the game, does allow home run the first, whatever, but pull him, bring in a guy because Happ has had experience coming out of the bullpen, bring him in, even though he's had a pretty subpar regular season, bring him in and have him pitch three innings. That's a sound strategy. That's what the analytics told you to do. You know, and, and Boone took credit, uh, not uh, for obviously creating it. It wasn't his decision, but he was for it. And Brian Cashman was for it and probably convinced Boone to implement it. But a sound strategy, I want I, – I don't know about you, Brennan. I want the Princeton, the Harvard, the Cornell uh, grads that are within the Yankees' front office, and I want them to – to just address the media. Just tell me why it's a sound strategy. I'm not going to be mad. If, if there's legit reasoning, well, if you look at this chart, it says that, you know, Jay Happ should, uh, uh, should pitch in every postseason game. Oh, okay, great. Awesome. But, oh, it was a sound strategy. God, okay. I really feel like you are still going to be mad. Like, well, <laughs> like yeah, it's, that, it's that classic conversation of, like, don't just, just tell me what happened. I won't be mad <laughs> when you know that that's not actually the truth. I mean, I get it. I – on paper, I do think it, it does look like a good strategy, making them set up their lineup for a right-hander and bring in a left-hander. But when that left-hander is Jay Happ, who has not performed well over the last two seasons, a guy that we weren't sure the Yankees were going to re-sign, and then when they did re-sign him, he didn't perform well this season in a shortened season. Um, so I, the, the theory makes sense. I agree with that 100%. I think if you have a premier lefty, who you can bring out of the pen uh, and let him throw as the Rays did uh, when they brought in Nick Anderson to throw against the Yankees in that same game. Um, I think that makes sense. But then if it's Jay Happ you're bringing in from the bullpen, I think that it loses a little bit of its credibility and it makes not really any sense to me. Yeah. You had the, maybe the recipe, but you didn't have the ingredients, right? I mean, it's a exactly, exactly. I got one hundred percent agree with that. I think it, it, that played into the uh, Mike Ford of that in Game Five as well, um, where again, yes, you want to have that lefty on righty matchup, but sacrificing Mike Ford or sacrificing a hot Kyle Higashioka or a hot Clint Frazier for Mike Ford, who hasn't had a hit in a month, the matchup makes sense on paper. The I love that that analogy actually. The have the recipe, not the ingredients, because that's exactly what it is. It, it, you don't have the right guys to try and execute that stuff. You're not that kind of team. Go out and hit the ball as far as you can. Go out and try and overpower people in, in six inning starts. Don't go out and try and out analyze a team that has prided themselves on their analytics and being able to get the most out of players who other people didn't value. Yeah, and you're right, especially trying to out analytic and analytic driven team. Yeah. I don't understand it. Dan, anything you want to add before we get into our lock upset game of the week? Do you want to make fun of us for a minute, whatever? Well, I was just going to say that I don't know what could have been said in that press conference that would have been something that Yankee fans wanted to hear. So I, I don't know what you guys wanted to hear, but I don't think any of it would have been said there by those guys. It would have been, we're only, this is, this is what I would have liked to hear. Yeah, here. All CR Analytics Ivy League students, we are now – we fired all of them, and we're taking five Ithaca College students from the, from the sports management, the business, and the parks school. <laughs> they analytics. That, yeah, that's what I was uh, – <laughs> just kidding. Uh, that, that is uh, – <laughs> all right, so we will now delve into our game of the week lock and upset picks. Just a uh, update on the standings for you. I don't know why I want to update you because it doesn't benefit me at all, but sure. Uh, 
In terms <laughs> of the points we have this season, Brennan is the leader of the pack with 63. Dan is in second with 59, and I am the uh, bottom on the bottom with 50. Our records on the season are Brennan with 52 and 20. Dan is 50 and 22. And I am 42 and 30. And I just chalked that up to five Giants losses. All right. The record would look a lot better at 47 and uh, 25 without those Giants losses. Whatever. But I, I, I stick by my team. And so do you guys. You guys just happen to have teams that win. Uh, yep. <laughs> just the uh, updates on the point system, our regular games and all the, the slate of the NFL's week's action, those are worth one point. But our locks, upsets, and game of the weeks are worth two. If you want the rest of our picks, you can check out the YouTube show that airs right after this one on VIC at 12 o'clock on our YouTube channel. You can get the link at the MVP show. But the picks we're about to give you now are valued at two points. And we'll start with the game of the week. And it's the Fox game of the week. And really a no-brainer if you look at the spread and just the quarterbacks going into. It's just a great matchup. And that is the Green Bay Packers versus the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Games in Tampa. Green Bay's favored by just a point. Brennan, we'll start with you because I think listening to the sh- to show, know where you're going to go beforehand, but give us some reasoning of why you went this way. Give me more of this matchup. I mean, Aaron Rodgers against Tom Brady, and Rodgers has been going on, uh, especially to impress this week and last, where because the Packers had a bye week last week, where talking about I'm not playing Tom Brady, uh, I'm playing the Tampa Bay Buccaneers defense, but. We can't look at it like that. I mean, we see two of the most legendary quarterbacks in the history of the NFL. I mean, you talk about the guy who has the most rings uh, of any quarterback and has led the greatest dynasty in sports of all time. And then you talk about a guy who maybe has the most talent of any quarterback uh, who has ever played the game. Going against one another, ooh, I love this this matchup. Uh, But obviously, you know where I'm going with it. It's the Green Bay Packers. They're pretty much one of the – I'd say best team in the NFL at this point. Seahawks are up there with them for sure, uh, but they had a close win against the Vikings. So I'm giving it to the Packers because they've pretty much been dominant in every one of their games. Uh, the offense has been very, very good. Aaron Jones in the backfield is a real threat in the running game and the passing game. Jamal Williams is a guy who is valued a lot on that team. Rodgers has said that um, he's looking at Williams to be a guy as we get into the stretch to be a big, a big focal point in this offense. And the fact that the Packers are doing this without Devontae Adams, who is arguably a top five wide receiver in the NFL, uh, and they've looked so good, and to have him back this week, I don't think the Packers lose this game. I'm surprised the spread's only one, to be completely honest, because the Buccaneers haven't looked great uh, this season. Yes, they've been a team that uh, has – I mean, they've got talent, but they haven't been very good. So Packers 100%. Yeah, I'm in agreement with with Green Bay. Best offensive football – 38 points per game this season. I think maybe it'll be close up until the third quarter, and then you get into the fourth, and Green Bay starts to distance itself. I think if Devontae Adams is healthy, which I believe right now he is, then that's going to be even more offensive weapons for Aaron Rodgers, and I have the Packers. Yeah, Packers, they've looked better than the Bucks all year. They've looked dominant. I think they did a pick as well. All right, shifting now to our locks. This is where it gets interesting. I'm two and three. With locks this season, Brennan and Dan are both 5-0. and I'll start to get mine out of the way, I guess. Uh, I have the Titans over the Texans. It's frankly because I'm done picking the Texans. They've let me down too much. They were my lock last week and finally cashed in. But, I, you know, I'm picking against them. 
Tennessee looked great in their Tuesday win versus the Buffalo Bills last week. Three and a half point favorites. I don't know how, how Tennessee, even though they do have a good defensive line, they haven't played especially well this season. I think Derrick Henry will have a great game, usually like he always does, and Tennessee will get it done. Um, I have the Vikings as my lock this week over the Falcons. I don't think the Falcons are very good, and I think that a lot of people think the Vikings are better than they've played. Let's me take Minnesota. I have the Arizona Cardinals. I don't think the Cowboys are very good. I think they just lost their, their premier quarterback, and I think that the uh, Cardinals' offense is going to go for maybe – 700, 800 yards, Big 12 game. Wow. Hey, you keep saying that with the Cowboys defense and the Browns almost got your projection of uh, 600 rushing yards when they played each other. Uh, Now we'll shift into our upset picks. This is where we've had less success. Brennan and I are two and three, and Dan is one and four. Uh, I'll start, and my upset, I think it's going to come on Sunday night football. I think the San Francisco 49ers, they're – Underdogs by three and a half to the Rams at home in Santa Clara, meaning Al Michaels and Chris Collinsworth will have to wear a mask, which will be funny. Uh, I'm picking San Francisco. <laughs> you know, uh, I, I think they have enough. They've looked good, uh, even though there's been a, a crazy amount of injuries for them. I, I think they have uh, make the upset. I think that, you know, three and a half at, as a home team, that's, that's a little too uh, too many points. So maybe not a clear win, but I think, It'll definitely cover, but I'm picking them to win out in our picks, and I have the 49ers for week six as my upset. I got the Browns over the Steelers. I'm done sleeping on the Browns. I don't think the Steelers are very good. I think they got to win this game. They can Cleveland. Yeah, I actually really love that pick, Dan, uh, but I'm going to go with the Washington football team over the New York football Giants. Uh, they're both bad, really a toss-up, and I have a little bit more confidence in Alex Smith and Daniel Jones. <laughs> So that is our lock, upset, and game of the week picks. And that is our show for this Sunday, October 18th. If you're listening right now live on VIC Radio, head over to our Twitter at The MVP Show. You'll get a link to our YouTube page, and you can watch an hour of us breaking down all that's happened in this week of sports, what we've already broken down, and so much more.